In this modern culture, women are often told, well, if you have a large family, you're never going to achieve your dreams. We've got with us someone today who has achieved many, many dreams and someone who is able to explain to women how to get there. Her name is Leah Darrow. You might have heard of her before because she's been very, very popular in all of the pro-life, pro-family and just the field of the culture of life. I met Leah in person the last time 10 years ago. Uh, since then, she's got six children and uh, lives a very happy and fulfilled life. Stay tuned for this episode of the John Henry Reston Show with Leah Darrow. Leah, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, Leah, one of the things that you were well known for a long time ago was a subject that is very hard to speak about. Nobody dares to go in that direction. You do. Uh, it's about modesty. Tell us a little bit about that. What challenges have you faced in trying to bring that message forward and what is its importance in the church and in the culture today? Yeah, modesty is an incredibly important topic, but often when we hear that topic being discussed, we think that it, one, it only pertains to women, although there is a great deal of conversation that women should have about that. But we also think that it is the only thing that we should be talking about. And modesty is this beautiful virtue, actually, that we're really discussing. It's not about hemlines. Um, it's more about the virtue in our life and how do we embody that virtue to become closer to Christ. And so modesty, modesty should bring out the deepest forms of charity within us that we are able to look at our lives in, as a whole and be able to make sure that it's all congruent with our beliefs. Um, you know, for me, taking up the virtue of modesty was a journey. And, it, you know, it still is. It's something that you have to continue to look at because it is a virtue that you can bring into your life and create a habit with. But uh, before, you know, I had my major, you know, reversion back to the church, Modesty was something that I did not think of and that I did not want to think of. I saw it only as rules, only as, well, you shouldn't wear that. And it was only allocated to clothing. That's how I thought modesty was, that it's only about what you wear. And the problem with that is that when we take a look at this topic of modesty and we only discuss fashion, we only discuss clothing, we've really made modesty and this virtue of modesty just like a Halloween outfit that you take on and you put off once in a while whenever you want to. But modesty has something deeper, as I mentioned, it's a virtue. It's, it's supposed to be this habit within us that reveals, you know, our whole, our whole life as a whole, as a believer. So as I, you know, even when I came back to the church and I was trying to change my habits and I was trying to change my thinking and my mindset to be more in line with Christ, I obviously was changing my weekend activities. I was changing the friends that I had. Uh, I was changing my daily and my evening routines of what I did. All of this I was doing. And to be honest with you, my clothing was one of the very last things that I actually changed. And so I share that because 
when we talk about modesty, it is sometimes this journey that people are on, and we should have compassion when we're talking about this to others. So the idea of, I see this girl at mass, and she's wearing something inappropriate. Again, once importantly, that modesty is not just about clothing, but sometimes it obviously is. So we do need to talk about that. And so I've had plenty of people come up to me and say, I think I should say something to, to this girl at church. She's you know in the church wearing this immodest outfit. In my personal opinion, I think we should have compassion because sometimes it's just the fact that some people don't know. Some people are on a journey and it's up to, up to us to help guide people, uh, but also with kindness and with deep compassion of people are on that. I was that girl in church who was trying to get her life back together. And while people may saw, may have seen me wearing something, maybe not church appropriate, you know, at, at mass, what was going on is that Christ was doing work in me little by little. And there was a moment where I came out of church and I was like, oh man, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't wear this to church. Oh, oh, I get it. And then the light bulb went on and things began to change. And I love sharing that story because it's like, we all have those moments where we're trying to stay in alignment with, with Christ and with his beliefs and with the gospel. And sometimes things just take a little bit longer to kind of connect. And so modesty is a great topic. I love it. It's something that a lot of people have a frustration with, and I understand that. But it's also a topic, just like any other virtue that we want everybody to you know, have in their life. It's also a journey that we're all on. So patience and understanding is so needed when we talk about this. Yeah, and I think particularly for men, it's um, it's a different virtue in that part of modesty for men, if especially when they're in situations like that where they're confronted with someone who might be immodestly dressed, not through their fault, just through basic not knowing what they should do or not do, um, men do have a responsibility there. And it sounds so strange in our current culture, but to look away, to practice custody of the eyes is really important because it's a real part of what men need to do to maintain their own purity of thought and to be able to relate to women properly such that they're not, um, you know, inspired by lust rather than by dignity of the human person. So if you could tell us a little bit more, Leah, about your own conversion, I think uh, that would be really fascinating. Yeah, so I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, great parents, truly. I am so incredibly blessed to live the life that I have. I, I know that. I know I am. I know that I'm blessed. Um, I'm extremely grateful for it. I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma. I mentioned that because it was a really beautiful upbringing in terms that it gave me space for silence, a lot of silence and a lot of space to, I mean, we had literally a lot of space. I grew up on about 300 or so acres, but I also had the time to sit and think about what I want in life. What does God want for me in life? What are my dreams? What do I love to do? I had, I had this opportunity of this space with me and cows to kind of like dream and think and talk to the Lord. And that was really beautiful. Um, that upbringing, um, and my, of course, my parents bringing me up in the faith, they were very big on the rosary, big supporters of Our Lady. They love Our Lady and they love the rosary. And so every night they would gather me and my five younger siblings, I'm the oldest of six, into the living room and we would pray the rosary every night. And I, before anybody rolls their eyes, 
Um, we were not the three kids of Fatima. We did not sit there quietly and like we're completely perfect. It was a it was a true experience of virtue for my parents. I mean, my brothers are fighting and poking each other and picking their nose and wiping it on somebody else. Um, my mom is disciplining kids in the middle of the rosary. People are in corners. There's timeouts everywhere. Meanwhile, my father is just saying the Hail Marys louder and louder and louder throughout the rosary. At the end of it, it was almost like a screaming match of the rosary, but the rosary was said. Like, the prayer was said, and it was a beautiful experience. And that's how I grew up. Um, we had normal everyday experiences, but prayer was always central. Talking about Jesus was normal. Um, we prayed before meals. We went to mass on Sundays and were involved with our church and our extended family. That's how I was raised. Now, I get to high school. In high school, there's a whole new group of friends. And I am subject to this new group and new people and new beliefs and new ideas. And I kind of succumb to that entire mess and in doing so, and in making mistakes and making sin um, a part of my life at that point, I began to experience, at 15, I lost my virginity. And that's that was a very big turning point for me. Um, I knew better. I knew I shouldn't. Now, I, I didn't quite know why, but I, I knew I shouldn't. And that's on me. But the problem with that, and I share that because so many people do this, and not just kids, but we engage in a sin that we thought we would never do. Um, and then we despair. And then we think there's no room for me. And shame kind of comes into the space of our of our mind and just tells us, oh, you should have known better. I can't believe you did that. No one's ever going to love you again, or no one's going to forgive you, whatever it might be for you. For me, it was, no one's going to love me. I have made the worst mistake. My parents are those, I mean, I'm the family that sits in the front row church. And here I am. I'm 15. And I feel like I was just, you know, destroyed. I was ruined that there was no hope for me. And that began at 15, that began my departure from the church. Right then and there, it was shame. And I believed the lies of shame. I believed that I wasn't good enough for repentance. I wasn't, that there wasn't a space in the mercy of God for me. I thought church was for you and everybody else. You seem to have great lives, but not for me. And so from 15 to 25, it was this slow departure away from the church. It's not that I didn't, you know, stop believing in God. I just, it's almost like I felt like I had this, undue respect for the Lord that I guess I just wasn't worthy. So I, I should just respectfully bow out of this space, which is a combination of ignorance and pride and, and who else, who, who knows what else? Maybe I was just being naive. Either way, that's what I did. And so that experience just led me to explore my spot in the world. I needed to, I wanted to connect. I wanted to feel, you know, validation for who I am and the church and, and the faith gives us that. But when you're apart from that, you will look for it elsewhere. You will find other people, other groups to make sure that you feel fit in and that you you feel connected. And so culture definitely had, you know, a voice to uh, to give me and I listened. And that led me, long story short, that led me all the way to just really diving into the fashion industry, the modeling industry, because culture looked at me and said, oh, well, you're pretty. So you should, of course, be a model. Like it was my only talent. And um, I was insecure. And I believed it. And so I went towards that field. I was on America's Next Top Model, that reality TV show. I was on cycle three. After I was eliminated, I stayed in New York and I continued modeling, thinking that this was the dream that I should have. And so the problem here, the crux of the whole issue is that I was living someone else's dream. I was listening to other people, other people's opinions about me. And I was living their dreams for me. I was living by other people's standards in my life. 
And it all came crashing down in the middle of a fashion photo shoot in New York City, where in that moment, I experienced a moment and a grace from the Holy Spirit, where God really touched my heart. And he told me in, in no less of words, no few of words, I made you for more. And I remember shaking my head in the middle of the photo shoot thinking, I did not just hear that. And it was a moment mm -hmm. I heard again, I made you for more. I heard it five times. The last two times that I heard it, the emphasis was on the first part. It was, I made you for more. Mm. And um, that was a moment for me. I just couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deny. I couldn't, I couldn't deny the truth of that. No matter where it came from, I couldn't deny. I was like, yes, I, I was looking around and I was looking at all these people who don't care about me. They don't care what happens to me. They don't definitely don't care about my soul. It's like all around these people in this industry that I'm in. I'm like, this cannot be what I do to serve people in this world. And so um, I ended up walking out of the photo shoot and I walked all the way home. And I did the only thing a girl could do at that point, which was um, I called my dad. And I called my dad and I just said, I, if you don't come and get me, I'm going to lose my soul. And I said that verbatim. And there was a very long pause. And, uh, and when, and when my dad spoke, he just said, okay, all right, baby, I'm coming to get you. And my dad drove, uh, over 2000 miles to come pick me up just like any good father would do. And, uh, that began my journey back home. That began my journey back home to, to the faith of course, and to Jesus, but also to who God made Leah to be. And, um, it has been a beautiful process. It is a process that it's still unfolding and healing, but I'm here now and I am so grateful and thankful for God's mercy and the generosity he gives me in living a life that's for him in service of others. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a little bit about my story. Wow. <clears throat> um, there's lots there to unpack. Um, let me rewind first for the sake of parents who are sometimes very discouraged, young parents with young kids who are praying the rosary are sometimes very discouraged, even when those kids get, maybe particularly when those kids get into their teenage years, because the fights become sitting on the couch, sometimes sleeping, sometimes mumbling, and sometimes worse. That rosary that you now remember, that family rosary, as boring as it was sometimes, as distracted, do you still think it affected you? And do you think you'll still think it's important? And is it something that you're doing with your kids now? Yes, yes, and yes. So what it did for me in particular is it created a routine. It also connected me in conversation with my creator. So both are incredibly powerful. When you think about, you know, I homeschool my kids and my smaller kids who are not in school yet, I've got six and my oldest is nine. My youngest is one. And so for the three older kids, like we're in school, but the three younger kids ages four, two, and one, they're listening. They're overhearing stuff going on. And I'll hear my four-year-old pick up and say things that I did not teach him but he is a part of the routine that's going on and he's picking up information and he's holding on to it. So it's amazing what our children do when we keep to a routine, 
when we have a routine each night or whatever it is for you of just continuing to come together to pray. You're teaching your child also how to connect and speak and listen to their creator. What a gift that you can give your child of like, prayer is normal. Prayer is what I do, even if I don't do it perfectly or if I'm doing it, you know, being pulled, dragged and screaming, but I'm here in it. And that routine of prayer is so needed. The monks have shown this that for, you know, for centuries, just the art of the routine of having these sacred routines in our life is so incredibly important to teach our children how to have a structure and a routine to connect with their creator and, and to speak to him and listen to him as well. Beautiful. So your conversion is very, very poignant. And your dad, I'm sorry, as a, as a dad myself, you know, with, with lots of old teens and, and uh, children in their 20s and so on, that recounting was so powerful. It, it, it really, really struck. The journey of 2,000 miles sounds insane. Um, but I think every good dad would, um, <laughs> the, you know, drive a million miles if he could. Um, wow. Tell us a little bit about your dad, his experience, if you know of it, but, uh, of, of doing that and um, what that specific journey meant to you. So my mom told me years later, um, my mom told me years later when I had already been sharing this story, she said, I want to tell you something that happened that day. I said, okay. And um, she says, when we got the call from you, they were always very scared. Let me just back up. They were always very scared to receive a call from New York and to get that 212 area code. And back then, caller ID wasn't as sophisticated as it was now. So they would just get this number. And um, they were so scared that it would be somebody from a hospital saying, you know, we have your daughter, you know, she's died from whatever OD or something happened to her. And they were, and their fears were justified. My life was not on any type of right track. So when they get that call, which I did not call often, they usually called me to check in with me. When they get a call from New York, they run to the phone. And mom said, you know, when we got that call, we both were running to the phone and your dad picked up first and I ran upstairs because my dad answered it upstairs. And my mom said, she goes, I ran upstairs and dad was um, <laughs> sitting on the edge of the bed and he had already gotten off the phone with you and he just had tears in his eyes. And my mom said she was so scared that they had lost, lost, lost me. But my dad turned and he just said, we got her back. And, um, excuse me, but that was really powerful for me to hear as a daughter. And the lesson I learned is how much our parents, of course, love us, but how much they hurt for us too. That while we're hurting because our lives are not on track, our parents who love us so much are also suffering with us, with us and for us, but with us. And that redemptive suffering that they were experiencing for me and all the prayers, it was all going towards this greater good of honestly saving my life. 
at that time. And so um, my mom then tells me that my dad just immediately grabbed his duffel bag underneath the bed and he just started throwing socks and underwear into this bag. And my mom's like screaming from the other side of the bed saying, Patrick, you have to pack pants, like pack pants and just <laughs> reminding him of what to pack. But he literally left that moment. He dropped everything. My dad is a dad of six kids. He has a full-time job that supports our family. And he left everything. And he got in the car and just drove east to New York. And he um, he did what every dad I pray would do for their daughter who is, uh, you know, at the point of, you know, despair. Is that he comes and he rescues us. And he was just, you know, looking back on it now, I just see this incredible example of my dad embodying um, God, the father of what God, the father wants and desires to do for every single one of us is just to come and rescue and to be there. Wow. Oh, that all dads could follow your dad's example. Beautiful. Um, wanted to ask you as well, um, about social media. There are very many messages given to women on social media, to young women, to even older women now, because it's we've we've spanned the generations. What's what's your message for women affected by social media and confronted by it? Mm. Well, there's a few there, but one is that your dream for your life, the dream that God has placed on your heart, and there's probably many of them, it deserves to take up space in your life. Your dream is worth pursuing. It's worth pursuing. And as you start pursuing those dreams that God has given you, and trust me, you're, you're going to kind of fumble along the way, but God is patient and he helps us recalibrate to keep us on track. Maybe we think we're going to do one thing and God's like, okay, we can start there and then I'll pivot at the next turn. And we can just have confidence and trust in the Lord that as we work to fulfill these dreams that are on our hearts, that he will continue to recalibrate and keep us on that path. But as you do that, and as you start growing and you start putting yourself out there and you start fulfilling those dreams, you got to know that other people are going to have an opinion about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And just remember, I, I, I saw this on social media and I thought it was great. It's not my own, but I saw it and it said, your dream and your vision for your life with God is not a conference call. It is a one-on-one -on -one conversation between you and the Lord and other people's opinions they're just other people's opinions and they don't get a say in your mission that the Lord has in store for you. And if your mission, by the way, ladies, is to have a family, to be home with your babies, that's a phenomenal mission. That's an amazing dream. Like we sometimes think of these dreams as like just like entrepreneurial ideas or like a business idea, but that that's not it. Like sometimes dreams for me are, I want a clean and ordered home. <laughs> My, my some of my dreams are like making a home cooked meal every night for my family, you know, or at least five out of the seven nights. So those are great dreams. Whatever your dream is, big, small, tiny, whatever it might be, it's worth pursuing. And you have to remember that there's always going to be people out there, especially on social media, that are not going to love you, not going to support you. But keep in mind, they weren't invited into that call with you and the Lord. Beautiful. One of the things that um happens nowadays is there is an intrusion. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, moms who 
help actually a lot of other women with advice. I know you do that an awful lot. Uh, but there is something nowadays that um, tends to dislike what you might say, particularly if you hit on particular topics that are um, out of vogue, let's say, or, or what the media censors don't like, and then there's censorship. Have you yourself faced any of that cancel culture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I currently am facing it right now on my Facebook page for some reason. It happened shortly after, uh, let's see, 2019. 2020, January 2020, shortly after that, I become I began becoming uh, censored on Facebook after I posted my post, an article, a video of my response to Michelle Williams when she attributed her Golden Globe to her to the abortion that she had so that she could make this particular film or movie. Um, I was actually in labor with my fifth baby at the time and I call it as, you know, being guided by the Holy Spirit, but I decided in the middle of early labor, keep that in mind, it was early labor, I posted a video and I was like, look, I'm having my fifth baby. Babies don't keep you from your dreams. In fact, they are the dream and they make our dreams more fruitful and better than you ever could imagine. And so I gave that message. Since then, Facebook has definitely censored me and my growth completely since that time. Um, but you know, there's other different types of cancel. There's also, we often think about canceling from the outside, like the secular world onto the, onto the Christian world, but there's canceling within the Christian and Catholic world. I mean, I currently just experienced that right now. I launched my new program, Power Made per Perfect, which is a coaching program in, in personal development, personal growth. It's not spiritual formation, it's not therapy, it's personal growth. But in that and in launching that, there was a slew of fellow, my fellow Christians, my fellow Catholics who are attempting to cancel what I'm doing, most of them misunderstanding the message, or maybe they just don't like me. But there's you, you get this type of cancel culture everywhere. Um, and we shouldn't be naive to think that it's just from the secular world. There's a lot of canceling within the church that is also trying to happen as well. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about that, about your new program. Yeah, so Power Made Perfect is a 14-week um, program. It's a Christocentric approach to personal development. So I love personal development. I've been into that world and taking a lot of programs from a lot of different people in the personal development world for the past easy 10 years. And I've taken them all and I love them. Um, I have my master's in theology. And so, uh, you know, thank God I was able to kind of, you know, put in what I've learned and through reading and through my studies to kind of fill the gap of that space between the personal development world, the secular world that it is, and then, you know, my beliefs and my faith. And it's kind of come, it kind of came to a point in my speaking career. I've been speaking now for 14 years and I've been talking to literally hundreds, thousands of women. And over these 14 years, the questions that I usually get, the help that they're asking me for is actually not spiritual formation. They're more human formation elements. It's how do I forgive myself? How do I have a better routine? How do I make this happen in my life? How do I make my, 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 my dreams? How do I know if this dream is from God or not? They're more on the human formation side. And so that spurred this interest and this desire in my heart to just help people in that particular area, to become a high performer in your life with Christ at the center, with Christ at the center. And so that's what this program does. It's a 14-week online group, group coaching program where I guide people through this process. We've divided the program into the first half, which is restoration. And that's really just kind of working on that interior life. And then the second half is resurrection, where we really start putting into practice all of those great skills into our life to make those dreams happen. 
just uh, because people might be interested in it right now, what it's called and what's the website? Sure. It's called Power Made Perfect. It's from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Um, and again, you can find all of that at leadero.com. Uh, leadero.com, you can go there and go to my coaching page and you'll see the program and all that it has to offer. Excellent. Excellent. Now, those who follow you on social media will often see hashtag babies and dreams. What's that all about? That came from actually that post that I put out in response to Michelle Williams. And that was, gosh, that was over two and a half years ago now. And it, that was just what I did. I just did hashtag babies and dreams after that post. I've just, it just seemed to be obvious, like babies and dreams go together. Do we not know this? Is this like a new thing that women were not, were like we're told? And it seems to be the case. It seems to be that so many young women think that if they get married and have babies, it is the end of your dreams, that babies crush and they kill dreams. But that's absolutely not the case. The only thing that kills dreams is killing a baby. They don't even get to experience the dream. And so the the whole hashtag of babies and dreams is just a space and a movement where we can support women to continue following their dreams of being a mother, being whatever God has given them and having their, having their family too. Beautiful. And just to, to round everything up, Leah, I thought I'd ask you about your relationship to the woman. Um, our mother of God, Mary Most Holy, I know is a, is a great inspiration for you. In fact, I believe you consecrated your marriage to Our Lady. Tell us about the consecration, why you did that and uh, what Our Lady means to you. Well, she's right there. She's kind of the hinge, right, to so many things. Um, the consecration to Our Lady and for my marriage, um, Ricky and I decided to do that. That was a family tradition, is a family tradition in my family, um, you know, from my own parents to all of my aunts and uncles to my grandparents and I think my great-grandparents. And this is something that down the line of my family, we've always done. And this this little prayer and a little piece of paper has been passed on to every single person. And now we just take pictures of it. We pull up our phone and we say this prayer. And I even have aunts who have hand stitched and like hand stitched the prayer on a piece of cloth and frame it in their home. Like it is just a thing in our family because we know that our lady guides us to Christ. And that is her job. It's just this constant direction pointing to Christ. And so um, we need all the help we can get in this world. This world is tough. And so when it comes to marriage, absolutely. It's a uh, marriage is an elite club for selfless people, you know, and um, it's, it's, it's a hard one to stay in, let me tell you, but it's absolutely worth it. And so our lady is there um, to help us along the way with that. We've also consecrated all of our children to our lady, to Jesus through Mary um, at their, at their baptisms as well. And it's, I think it's something important to remember that the consecration is not enough. I think sometimes, you know, we, we can't be too uh, transactional with our faith. Like, well, if I do this, I get this. It's, it's the daily thought. It's the turning of the heart every day. It's the working on it every single day. That's what changes. Um, the prayer itself doesn't change you. Believing that prayer and practicing the prayer, not by words, but by actions, is what changes us. And so... The prayer is beautiful and it's a beautiful act. But if you say that prayer and then you do nothing, not a lot will happen outside of God's grace, of course. But we have to take action in our life to be that active player so that we know that, 
life, our life and our prayer life is not just this prayer of transactions where I said this prayer and I should get this. I say this prayer and I should be closer to Jesus. What are we doing with that prayer? Are you living the prayer or are you just saying the prayer? And so when it comes to the consecration, when it comes to any prayer that we do in our life for our families, for our marriages, for our children, we need to make sure that we're putting into action the prayers that we say. Beautiful. Adara, thank you so much for what you're doing. For not only for women, but for families. And uh, please, is your dad still living? Yes. Please tell him kudos for me. I hope to be a dad as good as he is. Amen. Amen. I will tell him. Thank you, Leah. God bless you. Thank you so much. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time.